Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks. This is your host, Danielle. In this episode, Brian speaks with Dana Sewen, the park spokesperson, about recreation in the park, and she offers tips and advice for visitors. In the second part of this episode, I speak with Brett McDaniels of Friends of the Smokies, the nonprofit partner for the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, to get his insider scoop for visiting the park. I want to take a moment to make an announcement and request. The National Park Service announced that it plans to close Claude Moore Colonial Farm in McLean, Virginia in December 2018. We have visited this farm numerous times as a family. We especially love their colonial market days. It is a very special place to all who visit it. You may visit their website at 1771.org forward slash save the farm and consider taking action to voice your public opinion to keep the farm opened. We hope that with enough public outcry, they will change their minds and keep the farm open for people to enjoy for years to come. Finally, we put a lot of time, money, and energy into this podcast. If you would like to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon. You may go to our website, everybodysnationalparks.com, and click on Support the Show for more information and to become a patron. Thank you for your support. Now for the conversation. Okay, I'm here with Dana Sowen, who is the park spokesperson for Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and she will be talking to us a little bit about recreation and how to tackle this this vast and myriad park. Welcome, Dana. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, having us and sharing the Smokies with your audience. No, it's very exciting. We're coming up on a year when we visited, so this is a this is a great reminder of what kind of great trip that we had and. One thing that occurred to us is the amount of activities that we had at our disposal. We couldn't do it all, but we thought maybe some of that is what we'll tackle with you. So, uh, look, I, I think when most people, when they think about Great Smoky Mountains National Park, they think about Scrabble Peaks and clabbered churches and, and winding, twisty hikes and paths through the mountains. But there's so much to do. There's that, and there's so much to do. So, Maybe, Dana, if you wouldn't mind giving an overview of how the National Park Service is set up to help introduce people to the park, and then some of the main activities that most people take part of, and then we can kind of drill down to some of the particulars of that. Yeah. So we have an amazing plethora of different opportunities for people to get involved in when they make a Smokies visit. So they can do that on guided ranger hikes. They can attend a ranger program, and we like to refer to it as a, a guide on the side. So while you're coming to your Smokies visit, you can have the opportunity really to learn a little bit more about the space that you're experiencing. So we offer unique ranger programs across the park, particularly during the summer and fall seasons at our three visitor centers. So that's Sugarlands Visitor Center, Conalefty Visitor Center, and Cates Cove. And then in the summer months, we offer the best hands-on junior ranger programs across the park service. Kids can participate in a variety of programs where they can, you know, learn about the park's amazing biodiversity uh, by exploring a stream for aquatic life. We have programs where they can step back in time and discover the history of this space. One of our programs allows the children to attend a one-room school, just as it would have been in the early 1900s. Wow. They can participate in a program where they make a piece of Cherokee pottery in the traditional manner. So our programs have been so engaging that the adults want to be involved as well. Yeah. And so we have a program just for them called the Not So Junior Ranger. So I like to say we offer programs for everyone um, two to 92. Look, I, I can test to this and testify to it. Our kids got their Junior Ranger badges and one of the ranger-led talks they did was in Cades Cove at, I guess, Cable Mill is where you would have it, and they learned about wildlife. So some of that they became bear aware, which all of those tips our kids keep reminding us about how to be bear aware, but also what I thought was very, very clever. You know, of course, the loop on Cades Cove can get backed up, so, you know, you could be stuck in a car for a while. And by the time we got out for this activity, part of the activity was running around and acting like an animal. And uh, our kids, it was just great for our kids to, after being cooped up, 
uh, they were able to get outside and be pretty active with this junior ranger program. So I love it. That's I'll, one I of my that was favorites. Clever. We we uh, we have a program, and it might have been this one that we call Animal Olympics, where the kids get to you know take on that, that motion of the animals and and just work out some of those uh, jiggles that they've had from being cooped up in a car ride. No, that was exactly it. They were doing relays, basically, around cones and learning the entire time. I thought it was pretty clever. So nicely done. Well, look, it's not the biggest park in the system, but this is by no means a small park. So there is a lot to do. How would you think about a week's trip to Great Smoky Mountains National Park? Would you plant yourself in one spot and kind of explore from there? Or would you try to do the circuit and you know, hit up Cades Cove and then go out to Cosby and then maybe Catalucci? How would you suggest one tackle that? There are so many different ways to explore this park, and people need to spend a little time doing some homework so they they are prepared to make the most out of their visit. So we have 380 miles of roadway, and they are scenic roadways that were specifically designed so that your driving experience could offer you these incredible, rewarding views. So there are pull-offs strategically placed along our scenic roads so that you can take some time pull off and enjoy that scenery, take some photography. It's one of the biggest reasons that people come here so they can experience those mountain views. This is one of the only places in the East where you can stand and see ridge after ridge of endless mountain scenic views without interruption and without development in your view shed. So that's an incredible experience in and of itself. Some of those roadways provide almost like a trail-like experience. So if you take a look at just our general roadmap, you can sort of start to plot out what kind of an experience you want to have. We have a couple of one-way loop roads that are much smaller in nature, and so they take you along a winding path at a much slower speed, maybe 10 miles an hour, where you're able to feel like you really are in kind of this trail-like experience. Some of those, like the Roaring Fork Motor Nature Trail, offer you a chance to see some of those past communities where there are some of those historic structures, log cabins or a grist mill, like we were talking about, are located along that. So you can stop, pull off, take a time to explore a little bit of the history while you're enjoying the nature all around you. But I always recommend that people start their experience at the Smoky at one of our visitor centers. We have rangers that are there to offer trip planning advice. We have a suite of volunteers that are there to really help people hone that experience for them, especially if you have only a day to spend in the Smokies. So we try to ask questions where we understand, you know, if you have family but small children, so we can try to pick a hike that's just right for you. We have 848 miles of trails. So there is a trail for every level of experience that people have in their group, whether it's just eighth of a mile walk to one of our waterfalls right here next to Sugarland Visitor Center, or you want to tackle part of the 70 miles of the Appalachian Trail that goes through our highest peaks in the park. But starting at one of our visitor centers allows people to get that overview, actually talk to somebody to get that advice, and the most important thing, pick up a map. That's a great entry to the parks, and you mentioned all the trail systems that you all have. Why don't we dig in a little bit there? So you mentioned you can see some of this from the windshield of your car, but if you want to get out of your car and and maybe get a walk. Now, let's just start with you're with kids. You're with little kids. What's a great, maybe a a couple, three kid-friendly hikes that that are easy on little legs, but still you can get uh, a sense of what Smokies have to offer, not only from a flora and fauna sense, but maybe even from a a historical sense as well. Absolutely. So one of the things that I would also encourage people to do when they're traveling with families is is to find a trail where there is going to be something that's going to capture the imagination and the interest of of the children. So that could be maybe hiking back to a a historic structure, a a cabin, or perhaps it is a waterfall or some kind of a a geologic feature that you know is going to be interesting. Or sometimes it's just hiking alongside one of our rivers where there's an opportunity to stop and and splash around it and play a little bit. There's a great 
book that we sell at our bookstore that provides a scavenger hunt experience on lots of different trails. So it's a great guide to consider picking up before you head out on a family hike. Some of our more popular trails to hike with families include hiking to a waterfall. So one of the ones on the Tennessee side of the park called the Trillium Gap Trail, and you don't have to hike the entire trail um, to have this very rewarding experience. In the first mile and a half, you're treated to walking through some beautiful old-growth forest, and you follow the stream leading up to a waterfall at a mile and a half that you can actually walk behind. So it's a real destination and a treat for families to go on for kids of all ages. On the North Carolina side of the park, there's a, a trail that makes about a mile loop out of the Deep Creek Campground where you get to pass three different waterfalls. So it's an incredible opportunity to, again, have something that really engages the kids while they're out walking. We did something similar. We did the Rainbow Falls hike. And if memory serves, yes, the highlight were, were the falls, but also we saw some ruins and foundations of old homesteads. And for our kids, because they were overgrown and mossy, in their mind, that's where the fairies lived. And that was what they remembered from their hike and, and how and how they thought it was just a magical spot. But then also, we got to see the waterfalls from there. So that also was a, a lot of fun on our end. Yeah, there were over um, 1,200 different homesteads across the 500,000-acre park. And so the remnants of people's lives are still left behind. So you may see a stone chimney, or you might discover a stone wall, or you know, some of the 100 historic structures that we have preserved. Many of those involve hike to get back into and explore. If you go down to an area in the western North Carolina area of the park, Little Cataloochee is about a four-mile walk where you can actually hike back on a relatively easy hike along an old roadbed where you can discover a couple of historic structures, a couple of really interesting cabins, and even a church. That's great. And uh, as I mentioned just in our our last interview, speaking of Catalucci, my youngest insisted on going on the Boogerman Trail hike because she thought the, the title of the trail was hilarious. It's a great so that story. Was how, and it ended up being a, by the way, irrespective of the name, it's a very, very pleasant hike and we very much enjoyed it. So, But she, she thought it was hilarious and, and insisted that we go on that hike. You know, it's, a, it's another great tip is to, to consider picking up the trail guide book that's offered at any of our visitor centers, or you can get it by mail order ahead of time. But there are short descriptions that provide interesting things for you to discover along your trail. So the, the guide will tell you, hey, at point two miles, you are going to pass a stone chimney. And let, this is a little bit about the family that used to live here. And the Boogerman Trail is one of those great examples. Um, where it tells you the whole story about uh, George, who got the name of the Boogerman. Yeah. Yeah, we very much enjoyed it. And I agree. We usually buy those guides contemporaneously when we're there. But you're right. Having it ahead of time makes a lot of sense. And you can kind of pick and choose. And then probably when you go to the visitor center, have a ranger help you hone it down in case your eyes are, are bigger than your stomach, or in this case, bigger than your walking shoes. That makes a lot of sense. Which leads me to my next question. You have some great front country campsites. We stayed, we camped in Cades Cove and then again in Cosby campground. Love them both, but you have more than that, right? How many front country campgrounds do you have within the park? I have nine front country campgrounds yeah. in the park. And the elevations in our park range from about 840 feet at the lowest elevations all the way up to Cleveland Dome, our highest peak, 6,643 feet. So our elevations um, provide a different experience, you know, even at the same time of the year of your visit. So you need to keep that in mind as you think about how you want to make your reservations. You know, in, in the July hot summer, you might want to pick our highest elevation campground, Balsam Mountain Campground on the North Carolina side of the park. It's over 6,000 feet in elevation. It's in a spruce fir community. And it really provides kind of a, a cool respite. You might want to have your camping experience along uh, one of our beautiful rivers. And so we have campgrounds like Elkmont on the Tennessee side of the park or Deep Creek that have that river feature within the campground. But so many diverse opportunities at those campgrounds. 
if every campground and every campsite is filled up in the park, which does happen like the 4th of July weekend, um, we're sleeping about 6,000 people a night here. Wow. And the other thing I would remind our, our visitors is that we have 100 backcountry campsites. And it can be a little bit intimidating to think about a backcountry overnight experience if you haven't backpacked before. But there are several of those backpacking sites that only require a couple of mile hike, and they can be really great experiences for first-time backpackers and, and families. You don't have to hike very far in, so you don't have to worry as much about you know the weight of what you're going to be putting on your backpack. And then we also have about 12 trail shelters where the only thing you need to carry with you at that point is a sleeping bag, a pad, and the food, things that you're going to need you know, for that evening, but you don't have to bring a tent with you. That's great. So just to tie that all up in a bow logistically, first starting with the front country, then back to the back country. Front country, what campsites are first come, first serve? What are reservation only, and and what suggestions do you have to make sure you can secure that great campsite that you that you'd want in the front country? Yeah, so we have several campgrounds that do require a reservation, and actually that can make planning a little bit easier for those that are traveling from far away. That they can drive to them and they know they've got a campsite. So those campgrounds include Balsam Mountain Campground, Catalucci Campground, um, Cosby Campground has some reservation campsites. The Abrams Creek Campground has reservation campgrounds, and then some of them have a little bit of both, a hybrid. And so that would include Cates Cove, one of our more popular campgrounds, Elkmont, Smokemont, that you can make a, a reservation at recreation.gov before you even get to the Smokies. Now, if you really want to just you know keep your options open and, and do first come, first serve, Cosby Campground on the Tennessee side is always a great choice because there's usually availability there, even on our busiest weekends, and it's a great starting point for some of the best hiking in the park. Oh, I agree. We stayed at Cosby, and it was we had we got a reservation, but it was it was a favorite. It was it was pretty magical. So I, I can co-sign on non Cosby Campground now. Backcountry, can you walk us through backcountry permits, where, where we would get one, how that works, and, and how we should think that through? Yes, yeah, so our backcountry campgrounds need to be reserved, and you have to have a permit. You can get those 30 days in advance, and you just log into our website. There's a link that takes you directly there, and there is a fee, $4 a night for each person. You can choose from some of the sites by, by picking the area that you think you'd like to camp at. Read a little bit about that trail description. Click on a picture and it will actually show you what that backcountry campsite looks like. We also have a staffed backcountry office. So you can actually call and talk to somebody and make sure you're making a good choice. So with the backcountry, how do you mitigate the bear situation? Do the backcountry campsites have facilities by which you can hang your bags? How, how should we think about that? It's great that you're bringing it up because it's absolutely something that you should consider no matter where you camp in the park. So if you're at a front country campground that you've driven to, we require you to keep all of your food items locked up in your car. And if you have a car with a trunk, then that's our number one recommendation because bears here in the park have an keen sense of smell as well as sight. So sometimes it's something that you won't think has a food smell to it. They still have an association by sight. So we make sure that people know that they need to put everything up, even if, you know, unless they're right there with their food. In the backcountry setting at each one of our 100 backcountry campsites, we have a pulley system. And you can put your backpack or your food bag on that cable system, pulley it up into the you know, the trees, it's about 50 feet up hanging there, and it's far enough away from the trees that the bears can't climb a tree and, and reach out and put their hands on that backpack. So it's a way to keep your, your food secure and, and safely camp while you're out there. That's very, very handy. So no bear canisters that you'd have to procure beforehand, just the pulley system in the backcountry side. And it's already set up and it's, it's ready for you. That's great. Now, Dana, we'll start blurring into other activities, but before we leave the backcountry, if we had a horse and we wanted to go horseback riding, but 
stay in the backcountry? Are there facilities where we can tie up our horse and, and pitch a tent? So about half of the trails park are suitable for equestrian use. And again, on our backcountry map, you can easily see that. And all of the campsites that are on those horse trails, you can stay with horses. So they'll have a spot designated where you would hitch your horses for the for the overnight camping. And then we also have some campsites that you can drive to that have a little bit more proper stalls where your horses can spend the night there with you as well. So those horse camps are scattered across the park in a front country setting. And, and before we leave accommodations, let's toggle it back. So can you talk about your lodge, which I am, I've never stayed at, but I'm very jealous and I, it's, it's on the bucket list, <laughs> but can you talk a little bit about yeah. it? So when people are coming to the Smokies, the one thing they need to think about is where they're going to stay if they're not planning on camping. Many of the big parks are similar size out west, have grand lodges inside the park. The Smokies, when it was formed and dedicated, it was purposefully done to bring economic boom to the surrounding communities. So purposefully, the lodging is outside of the park. And you can tell that when you make a visit to the Smokies, you can see that in our gateway communities. So there are many, many lodging opportunities outside the park all around. We do have one unique lodging opportunity inside the park, but you cannot drive there. It's at the top of one of our highest peaks, Mount Leconte. The shortest way to it is a five-mile hike. It's actually one of the most spectacular hikes in the park up Alum Cave Trail. It's about five miles that winds along a river and the lower elevation portion of it. And then you climb up through just some beautiful northern hardwood forest. You pass an incredible bluff called Alum Cave. And then you hike up to the top where you have panoramic views of the entire mountains. They're really in the center and the heart of the park. And it's a very rustic lodge. You will be eating family style that evening where you can have dinner and breakfast. You have to make those reservations through that concession operation. Look on watch. So you can't drive there. There are no roads. You have a choose-your-own-adventure choice of what path and distance and difficulty level you want to hike up, but none of it's a flat path. They're all elevation. Uh, Dana, how does the lodge supply itself if there are no roads in and out? So they bring their supplies up during the, the season, three times a week by a llama train. And so there are five different trails that can take you to the, the top of Mount Lacan. One of those trails, often people will choose specifically because they want a chance to see the llama train at work. So three days, three times a week, the llamas are, are trekking up fresh supplies, fresh laundry, and hiking back down the dirty laundry in the trash. Now, once a year, Leconte Lodge, as they prepare for the opening season, does a big helicopter operation to bring in the bulk of what they need for the season. There's no way for their staff and supplies to get to the top of the mountain without hiking just like the visitors. Yeah, and well, I, I'm going to ignore the helicopter comment because I like the, the romance of the llama train, which on one of our hikes we stumbled across. And so it's, it's so incongruous to see just all these llamas on a trail, slowly working the way up the trail, going to the lodge. So it's on our list. One of these days, I, I think it bears mentioning, whereas you said Cosby and other of the front country campsites are available, and there are plenty of backcountry sites with a permit. So the llamas travel, uh, the llamas actually travel one of the trails that I described for you, the Trillium Gap Trail. It's another reason that that might be one of the feature trails you want to choose on a Smokies visit. Yeah, and we, but we should mention the lodge at Mount Lacante is a tough ticket, so that usually books up well in advance. They start taking reservations in October, the season before, and it fills up pretty quickly, especially for the weekend use. But even throughout the season, if you're willing to go on a weekday or be spur of the moment, you have a chance to get a shot of staying up there, and the bed is waiting for you. That's the nice thing about having that opportunity. It's like a backpacking experience, except for there's a lovely rustic lodge and a bed and a warm blanket. That sounds so cool. We started talking about other activities. We talked about horseback riding. 
Dan, would you be able to talk about some of the other activities that are available? For example, with all those streams, I imagine fishing is something that may be available in the park. So the Smokies are well known for being a destination for people fishing for trout primarily. So we have a native brook trout that fishermen come from all across the world to have the opportunity to fish for our mountain brook trout. We do also have rainbow trout and brown trout, particularly at the lower elevations. So uh, fly fishing is the fishing mode of choice. And there are guides that you can hire for the day, again, concession operators, who can help you by having the equipment and giving you some instruction if you just want to try it out for half a day or a whole day. And if you want to choose a a concession operator that is associated with the park, they're easy to find on our website, and you can find a a listing of those who have proper permit to conduct business inside the park. So it's a great way to get out there again and explore the park in in a way that takes you away from the trail. And many people enjoy that solitude and a little bit of experience and serenity. I'd say. And you don't have to be an expert. If you can't tie a fly, there's a, a guide or a concessionaire that can that can help you with that if you're doing fly fishing or you're just dropping a line. Absolutely. In. And our outside communities have stocking programs for their fisheries. And outside the park in those trout fisheries, you do have to get a trout stamp and some different licensing. But it can be a little bit easier to, to catch a fish, which is always fun for, for children a first-time fisherman. Oh, you bet. We've done that on some of our trips, and it's always a smash hit with the kids when they can catch a fish. With some of the other more modern activities, so canyoneering, rock climbing, is that available in the park? So the entire backcountry is, is available for use. We are not known for rock climbing, and off-trail travel is, is not recommended in this park. We are so well known for the diversity of, of plants. We have over uh, 1,500 different flowering plants and and more trees than in all of Europe. The vegetation communities here, it's an incredible thing to to be a part of. You almost feel like you're in a cathedral-type setting as you're walking along our trails. But we have rhododendron and the underbrush and the mountain laurel, which cover the slopes. It actually makes off-country travel particularly dangerous. And so we, we don't recommend that people do it. So there's not a lot of those kind of experiences here inside the park. Now, what we do have for people that want to maybe a little bit more active is an opportunity in Cates Cove to ride your bike along an 11-mile loop. And we actually close that 11-mile loop road twice a week in the summer on Wednesday and Saturday morning. So it's open only for bicyclists and pedestrians. And if you didn't bring your bike with you, there's a concession operator where you can rent one by the day or just for the morning so that you can have that experience. We also close that road every evening at sunset, and it's a really popular hot spot on a full moon night to ride your bicycle around the loop. We did that. Both Danielle and I, on separate days, got up early when we were camping at Cades Cove, and I rented a bike. She had hers, and we did a loop before the park opened, or I should say the loop opened for cars, and it was magical. Just to be there as the sun was rising, total highlight. I'm glad you mentioned that. That was a uh, that was a lot the of The other fun. opportunity I should mention in, in Case Cove and a couple of other locations in the park near Sterling's Visitor Center and near Conalefty Visitor Center Smoke is an opportunity to take a guided horse ride. And so you don't have to be an expert. You could have never ridden on a horse's back before and come and do a a one-hour ride, a half-day ride, and get to enjoy the mountains in a very unique way. How old or big do the kids have to be to get on that guided horseback ride? Yeah, so they can be very young. They just have to be a certain weight. And all of that information is available on the website. So it's more a function of of weight necessarily than than age. And of course, everybody knows their own children and their maturity level. And it's just a great experience for kids. I'd say. A couple more questions before we let you go, Dana. One is, obviously, one thing that I think a lot of people know about Smoky Mountains National Park is you are the most visited park in the entire national park system. And I can imagine on summer weekend days, it is pretty crowded at parts. 
What are some suggestions you have for mitigating crowds if you happen to be there over July 4th weekend, as you mentioned before? What are, what are some tips? So this is a year-round park, and so people are exploring it and visiting all, all seasons long. But traditionally, the month of July is our most heavily visited month, and congestion can really affect a visitor experience. So what I remind people to do is if July is the month that you are choosing to visit, you can still have an experience where you don't encounter that congestion if you choose one of the campgrounds, um, like Cosby, as you mentioned, that's a little bit off the beaten path and with that less people use. I also recommend to people that they get on the trails early and kind of alter their routines and try to make their visits during the weekday versus the weekend and just alter, you know, how they're going to experience the park. You can certainly still go to a very, very popular place like Kate's Cove or the Allen Cave Trail that I mentioned, but I'd recommend that you get an early start and do it on a weekday. And then, of course, traveling here during those shoulder season months is is always a good bet. And I always tell people that even though we're the most visited national park and we have one of the busiest backcountries across the nation, with 848 miles of trailways, there are still trails that you can hike and not see a soul on them if you choose to go on one of those hikes. Because most of our visitation is concentrated on the shorter hikes to features like waterfalls or the mountain peaks, but there's lots of spaces to explore so you can have that more solitude experience. The other thing I recommend to people is to pay attention for little brown signs as they're traveling the roadways on Newfound Gap Road that takes you from Cherokee to Gatlinburg or Little River Road from Gatlinburg to Townsend. There are signs that say quiet walkway. And those walkways um, are just short little paths, about a mile in length, that allow you to get out of the car, stretch your legs, and you're probably going to find that you have that experience all to yourself. Yeah, that's one thing about some of the advice we give uh, with the other parks we visited is not that hard to get away from everybody if you want to. There are trails that, uh, you know, something along the lines of, as you said, most people, the vast majority, go to certain features, certain areas, but the 98% of the rest of the park, not many people visit. So if you can find those trails, you can get away from people even in high season. So it, it's consistent and good advice. So it, it, that sounds that sounds great and very manageable. As we wrap up here, Dana, you know, I, I kind of want to get inside your head here. You've been associated with the park for a little bit now. So I have to imagine you must have a favorite spot or two. Uh, or maybe even a favorite moment or two. Would you mind sharing that with us? So I've been working at the park now for nearly 30 years. So this is a place that just inspires me every day. And I thrive on those times when I can get out of the office and get out and, and experience the park. And so certainly I, I have those those favorite trails and I'm, I try not to share them um, with people. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> Putting you on the spot. But um, I I love to share the the Smokies with our visitors. And so for me, a true Smokies visit really takes you in to the forest where you can see this incredible cove hardwood forest and that trail changes over the seasons. So one of my favorite places to hike is to ramp the Cascades. Again, it's one of those waterfall features. It's one of our tallest waterfall in the park. It's about 100 feet. But along the way, you experience some of that old-growth forest. The, the park is made up of 30% um, of old-growth virgin timber, so it's a very unique Smokies experience to have. And you get to walk among those towering trees. If you hike it in the spring, you have that profusion of, of wildflowers that just cover the forest floor. And then all season long, you can continue to watch those changes. So I do like having those trails. I hike repeatedly throughout the year just to watch the, the change in seasons. There are spaces along that trail where you can experience that sense of homecoming that make the Smokies so special. When you think about the stories of the people that lived here before us, you see the chimney off to the side and, and a little bit of that stone wall. And it just makes a true rounded Smokies 
spike to me. Well, that, that sounds great. And you're right. It's a great note to end on. But you can do the same trip in the spring as you do in the fall, the same trails, the same campsite, and have two totally different experiences in a lot of ways. So that's another great tip is visit and revisit again in different seasons to see the different perspectives of the park. That's a great idea, too. Well, with that, thank you very much, Dana. Again, Dana Sowen, Park Spokesperson for the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. You've got us excited to come back again. So thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thank you. That was Brian speaking with Dana Sowen, the spokesperson for the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. In our next conversation, Danielle speaks with Brent McDaniels, Director of Marketing for Friends of the Smokies. Brent brings his unique insights to how you and your family can get the best of your trip to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Here, listen. Welcome to Everybody's National Parks. I'm speaking with Brent McDaniels, Director of Marketing for Friends of the Smokies, which is the friends group for the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Hi, Brett. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, we're we invited Brett to talk with us today to try and get some insider scoop to help with planning a trip to the Smoky Mountains with a family. So, Brett, we were talking earlier, one of the secrets that we got from a park ranger when we were at the Cades Co-Visitor Center at our trip last year, we were really into wildflowers, and the park ranger told us about a magical place called White Oak Sink, uh, which is not a trail that is published. You don't really find it anywhere. I'm wondering if you might be able to give us some insider information like that on favorite hikes that you would recommend for families. I can recommend really anything in the Greenbrier area of the park. So if you're looking at a map of the park, Greenbrier is kind of on the northeast side of the park. Um, It's in Tennessee. Gatlinburg and Cherokee are kind of the two main gateway communities to the park. So if you think of Gatlinburg on the north end of the park, you can head east from there to get to Greenbrier. They've got a lot of really good hikes. Um, There's lots of several creeks and rivers that flow through that area. So you get a lot of really good trails and really good wildflowers in the spring. That's really incredible over there. And that area used to be a logging community. So a lot of the trails in the national park are based on the, the trails themselves are built on old railroad tracks where they used to bring in trains to bring out the lumber. So a lot of the, the trails in that area are, you know, not very steep, relatively flat. And you can kind of go in and see flowers and, you know, walk at your leisure and come back out. So I can definitely recommend anything over there. So definitely check out Greenbrier on your next visit. And is that where Porter's Creek is? Yes. Yeah. And Porter's Creek is fantastic for wildflowers in the spring. Okay. I, I believe we did that last year as well. Okay, nice. Excellent. And any other parts of the park that you highly recommend that are accessible for families with kids? I I would say maybe Clingman's Dome would be a good stop for families. It's really accessible. You you go up 441, which is the main road through the park that goes between Gatlinburg and Cherokee. And then it's a short little, I think, maybe nine-mile road off of 441, kind of right when you get up to Newfound Gap, there's a road off to Clingman's Dome. And you can drive the whole way up there. There's a, a really big parking lot with a very nice overlook. And then if you want, there's a short uh, one or two mile trail up to Clingman's Dome Observation Tower. And now that's a pretty steep trail, but it is paved the whole way. So if, if you are feeling strong, you can push a stroller up there. But there's benches along the way um, where you can stop and take in the view and catch a quick water break. But if you make it all the way up to the Observation Tower, You've got 360-degree views. It's a really cool observation tower that was built in the 1960s. It's got this kind of weird mid-century design, but it's really, really neat. And on a clear day, you can see for miles and miles all the way around. So that's definitely something to check out. But even if you don't want to go up to the observation tower, you can go to the parking lot, you know, just hang out out there and enjoy the view. It's got a beautiful view. Very cool. We missed that by a couple of days as well because we were just in the North Carolina side for spring break and we left on Thursday and I believe that opened the road there opened on Sunday. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. Something to keep in mind that it is closed. I think it's November to March, okay. but it, it's open all spring and summer and fall. Got it. And what about alternative activities? So we went to 
the Smoky Mountains for spring break last year and stayed on the Tennessee side. We went this year on the North Carolina side mostly. And something new we did this year as a family, we've never been horseback riding and it was new for our kids, new for my husband. We went to the Smokemont Stables and did that. So that was a new activity for us. Are there other options? I believe there's also horseback riding out of Cades Cove. But are there other types of activities besides hiking that you would recommend? Yeah, there are a couple of stables, I think maybe three or four in the Smokies that do horseback riding. You know, there may be one close to you if you are in Gatlinburg or close to there may be another one that's closer if you're in Cherokee, for example. Um, so horseback riding is great. But there are ranger guided programs that they do out of each of the visitor centers. So Sugarlands Visitor Center is right in the park from uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And a Kunalefti Visitor Center is right inside from Cherokee, North Carolina. And you can see on the park's website, they've got a calendar of events. And they'll tell you what ranger-guided programs are coming up. So sometimes those are short hikes on like a nature trail. And sometimes they're more interpretive, learning about the history of the park, and the people that were here. And sometimes they're about wildlife and animals and plants and that kind of thing. So I would definitely try and check out those on your next visit. They've, you know, the rangers here are world class. They know everything there is to know about the park, and they are just excited to share that with everybody. So a ranger-guided tour is a quick and easy way, and I think most of them are free, too. I don't know that they charge for any of them, but that's a quick and easy way to, to learn about the park and really get into park and experience something that not everybody gets to experience. You know, it's almost one-on-one time with a ranger because these are pretty small groups. And are those seasonal? Most of them probably are seasonal. If they're doing like a wildflower tour, obviously that's going to be during the spring. I want to say probably the history ones, maybe year-round visitation drops off pretty good during the winter. So they do cut back on some of those programs. Um, But if you're coming during peak visitation time, which is anywhere from spring break through kind of October, which is a good leaf season, there'll be something that you can find on your trip, definitely. Okay, cool. And what about things like fishing? Are there options for rafting or tubing or anything like that? Yeah. So there are, no about rafting specifically, but tubing, there are a number of third-party, just kind of private companies right outside park boundaries that do tubing and that comes into the park. And I think they're located probably, I'm, I mean, I'm sure on Tennessee side and the North Carolina side. So tubing is an option. Nothing is done through the National Park Service like that, but you can find plenty of independent vendors that'll take you tubing and, you know, they they put you in and then they go pick you up with a van and bring you back to your car and all that kind of good stuff. The fishing is incredible in Great Smoky Mountains National Park. They have almost 3,000 miles of streams in the park, which is hard to believe. We have, I think it's 800 acres, I want to say. And so it's not a huge park. It's not huge like uh, Yellowstone or Yosemite. It's relatively small, but we've got almost 3,000 miles of streams. Yeah, which is incredible. And you do need a license, but you can get one. It's, you know, just a simple fishing license. You can get one in like the gas station on either side of the park. So that's quick and easy. But you can get set up. There's also kind of angler guides. If you want to do like a, a guided fishing tour, they'll take you out and get you set up with all the equipment that you need and waders and poles and bait and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of really good fishing. There's native brook trout here. We also have rainbow trout and a couple of endangered species, which you might see. Obviously, you don't, you don't want to catch those and they're little tiny fish anyway, but there's a ton of aquatic life in the park, which is really, really cool. Nice. And are there perhaps bird watching tours, anything like that? That might be one of the ranger-guided tours. I'm not sure if they do birding or not. I know that Great Smoky Mountains Association, which is one of the other nonprofit organizations that help support the park, like Friends of the Smokies does, they run all the bookstores and visitor centers in the park, and they produce a lot of the books and educational materials. And I know they've got books on birding. So if that's something you're interested in, you can definitely pick up a book from one of the visitor centers. And Cades Cove is fantastic for birding. It's an incredible habitat. And the park's got a lot of migratory birds that come in, you know, on their way north or south in the spring and fall. So definitely check out birding. I can't remember off the top of my head if that's a tour that they do, but this park is great for birding. Okay. And for migratory birds anywhere in the park or Cates Cove area or other certain Cates locations? Cates Cove is really good for it just because it's kind of an, an open habitat. They've got some trees, but it's a really big valley that's kind of set off to the side. It's surrounded by mountains, so it's a really nice habitat for them to come in and 
make a pit stop and get some food and rest and that kind of thing. So Cades Cove is a great spot for it, but okay. uh, you can see migratory birds and native birds all over the park for sure. Great. Excellent. Okay. Well, any other insider tips that you would like to share that you think would be helpful for uh, someone planning a trip? I would try and visit in shoulder seasons if you could. So early spring or late fall, a lot of people come during spring break. Summer is, is very busy in the Smokies and then fall, we have great leaf color. Um, so a lot of people come in the fall, but if you hit it kind of after leaf color in the fall into early winter, you get a great experience in the park. It's, it's not quite as beautiful as seeing all the oranges and yellows and reds, but you get a, a great experience with you know half the people. So no traffic, nobody in line at the visitor center. So I'd try and visit during shoulder season. If your vacation lines up during the busy season, do still come anyway. It's a great park, but I would say try and leave your hotel or your cabin early. Try and get into the park early, see what you can see, and then head back into town for lunch and that kind of thing because it, it really picks up during the day. It can be frustrating with all this the people here because this is the America's most visited national park. We have, I think, 11 million visitors last year, which is incredible. That's a ton of people. So pack your patience, but enjoy the park. Yeah. <laughs> we did the gold mine loop, which is near okay. Bryson City on the North Carolina side. Not Are you trail, familiar but I with love that? Bryson City. Well, just as an example, there's rhododendrons and azaleas and things yeah. like that everywhere. But in particular, I'm thinking about this hike just because we did it a few days ago. There was this tunnel of rhododendrons and I looked up and it said they bloom in June. So you'd have to be there in June to see that on our horseback ride from Smokemon as well. I saw tons of yeah, rhododendrons and I thought, wow, it looks like winter right now, but I can imagine how beautiful this would be Absolutely. with all of this in bloom. But coming in yeah. June would it, could it be it a might headache. Be a headache. It's definitely busier <laughs> in June, um, but if, if wildflowers are your thing, definitely April, May, June would be a great time. Like you said, in June, the rhododendron blooms. And also, if you go up to Gregory Bald, which is near Clingman's Dome, so it's kind of right on the Tennessee-North Carolina line, um, so you can get to it from either side. But if you go up to Gregory's Bald early June, they've got flame azalea that blooms, and it's this incredible bright red-orange color. So definitely check that out if you're here in June. I don't think it's a really strenuous hike either. Okay. And so the busiest hours... Parking lots are full by 10 a.m. or even earlier in the Yeah, in those I'd say full by seasons. 10 a.m. Um, if you can get in the park, you know, by 7 or 8 in the morning, pack breakfast with you and eat in the car okay. on the way, early morning is going to be your best bet. And that's also one of the better times to see wildlife. So Cades Cove, like we sure. talked about with birding, they've got a lot of wildlife that call Cades Cove home. So if you want to try and see some bears, early morning or really late afternoon kind of right after dawn or right before dusk is the best time to see wildlife in the park. Okay, great. Well, those are good tips. I do hope to, you know, hit it at some point when, <laughs> when yeah. those flowers are in bloom. Well, thank you so much. Any other last things that I, I'm forgetting not thinking to ask you? This was well, some good you information. Were over on the North Carolina side, did you get to see the elk in Cataloochee Valley? Well, actually, last year we okay. went to Cataloochee for that purpose, did not see any elk. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> However, right before the visitor center, there's that big field before the Econolefty Visitor Center. Yeah. And there were tons of elk. Nice. And so we got to see them both days, but in the afternoon. So in the morning, they're somewhere else. Yeah. Um, However, actually, we drove earlier the next day past there, and I said, oh, my pictures didn't come out so well yesterday. I hope they're still there today, and they weren't. But then as we drove north, we were going to go to Mingus Mill. We saw lots of cars parked, and we thought, well, this must be some sort of animal jam, bear jam, elk jam. And so yeah. we pulled over to see. And sure enough, they were all around the Econolefty River there on the other side of the river in the forest. Yeah. Um, but we could see them and got a good view of them. So awesome. that, yeah. that was fortunate. So that was a program that we helped with. So elk are native to this area, and they were extirpated is the word, but it means kind of hunted, not out of existence. They didn't go extinct, but they were remo removed completely from the area. So in 2000 and 2001, with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Friends of the Smokies, and GSMA, and a number of other partners helped reintroduce elk to the park. So they did that with, I think, 20 animals in 2000 and then another 20 or so in 2001. 
and they've done really, really well in the park. Like I said, they're native here, so you know this is the home that they're used to, and so they're flourishing. But if you ever get to come over here in the fall, go to Cataloochee Valley over on the North Carolina side. The fall is the elk mating season. Uh, mm-hmm. called the rut, and you can hear the male bugle, which is just this otherworldly sound that you can't even imagine coming from this 800-pound animal because it's like this high-pitched kind of whine almost. Right. And sometimes you can see them fight. The, the males have a harem of cows, females, that they mate with during the mating season, and the males will fight to control the other's group of females. So you can see them kind of butt heads and lock antlers and here in Bugle, and it's amazing to check that out if you're ever over in the fall. Wow. Yeah, I, I do hope to come in the fall someday. But my husband, Brian, he was in Olympic National Park last fall and heard the Bugle, had no idea what it was. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't expect it, it is it is so strange to hear. It'll make your skin crawl almost. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good tip. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm happy to help. And, you know, Friends of the Smokies couldn't do what we do to, to help create Smoky Mountains National Park without donations and support from our members. So check us out if you get a chance. Absolutely. And what are what are the main projects that you support? Is it project specific? Is it your decision? Is it the National That's Park Service's decision? Um, so it's of kind of all money... across the board. Great Smoky Mountains National Park staff comes to us with a list of programs that they need help funding each year. And their programs all across the board but it's usually over a million dollars every year. So that's environmental education programs, wildlife management, historic preservation of like cabins and churches in Cape Cove and Cataloochee Valley, all kind of good stuff that happens in the park, you know, is helped by donations through Friends of the Smokies. So we go out and we try and find that money through special events and memberships, fundraisers, but we give the park about a million dollars every year to help keep up with the things that they need to do. These really critical programs that if they didn't have money from us, they would have to cut back on, on visitor services and those kind of things. So we're proud of the work that we do in the Smokies. Excellent. And the Great Smoky Mountain Association, that's another nonprofit that also supports the park yes, as well, right? right? So some parks have either a friends group or a cooperating association. Some have both like we do. And some parks, those nonprofit entities have merged together. So there's a lot of different help that comes into each and every park. But with the Smokies, we've got Friends of the Smokies and Great Smoky Mountains Association. We both fundraise for the park, and we both fund these really cool programs, uh, but we just do that in a different way. Great. Well, definitely, we will provide a link for that on our show notes, of course, and encourage people to support the park. Great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. As always, show notes and links to resources for this episode may be found on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. You may find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you like the show, write a review and please tell your friends. You may also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or send us your comments at everybodysnationalparks.com forward slash contact. We'd love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag everybodysnationalparks.com.